Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special episode of Red Maryland Radio here. I'm your host, Brian Griffiths. This episode was recorded at the Conservative Political Action Conference on Thursday, February 28th, 2019, at National Harbor down in Washington, D.C. Lots of interviews, uh, lots of things that we learned. Talked to a lot of folks from Maryland. You will enjoy this episode. Stick with us. We'll be back right after this break. You are listening to a special edition of Red Maryland Radio on the Red Maryland Network. You can help Red Maryland grow our reach when you visit redmaryland.com and click on the Amazon link and shop as normal. A portion of your purchase will come back to Red Maryland to help us grow. Additionally, you can buy Red Maryland t-shirts, drinkware, and other gear from our Zazzle store at zazzle.com slash redmaryland. We want to hear from you. Email us at any time at redmaryland at gmail.com. You can also leave audio feedback on a Red Maryland talkback line at 410-205-4875. We might use your feedback on our programming. You are listening to Maryland's most trusted conservative voice, the Red Maryland Network. Be sure to follow Red Maryland on all of the major social networking sites. You can follow us at Red Maryland on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Google+, Snapchat, and Tumblr to get the latest from Red Maryland. And be sure to follow the home base for all things Red Maryland, redmaryland.com. Celebrating five years as Maryland's only network that matters, you're listening to the Red Maryland Network. Here at CPAC with our good friend, Andrew Langer. Andrew, why are you laughing? <laughs> you know, it just, it's, it's been a long-time, long-time associate. Long-time, long-time Red Maryland associate, Andrew Langer. Are you taking offense to the term friend? Yes, I am taking offense to... <laughs> I, you know, I, can, I, can make this, I can make this adversarial. Damn it, Brian Griffiths. How dare you abuse the uh, term friend? But no, of course. I'm always, always glad to be a, a friend to you and to Red Maryland. Well... As you were fond of saying, every CPAC is different, and this CPAC is no different. Remember Uncle Andy's old uh, aphorism, which is that. So how, how different is this one so far? Uh, you know something? Little little subtle differences, right? Things change. The, uh, the, we're sitting in the main stage. Uh, our good friends, again, our, our, tradi- our truly good friends at NRA TV, no longer having a massive booth on the side here is, is, is different. Um, you know, it's there's a there's a different level of organization. I had a conversation last night uh, about uh, about this uh, about the challenges that the American Conservative Union faces in being a uh, an organization so closely tied uh, to this White House. I think that 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 changes the dynamic here certainly. Um, but you know, we're having a we're having a real a real conversation at this CPAC about how to be how to be vigorous in the defense of conservatism. One of the things you mentioned, you talk about the association with this particular White House, this association with Trump and Trumpism. Do you think that that has hurt the event anyway? It seems like, and this is just from a perspective, fewer sponsors, smaller footprint so far this year. Do you think that CPAC has been diminished by that association? I don't know about diminished. Listen, I think I think as I said, there there are challenges that that happen whenever whenever you have a a CPAC like this. It's it's unique with this ACU because Matt uh, Matt and and Mercy Schlapper are are very closely tied to the White House. I think that changes things certainly. Uh, you you get this in the sponsorships. It's that then there is the real question as to the value added for a lot of people. You know, but again, 
I think it helps ACU return to the roots of what CPAC is supposed to be, which is about activism and teaching people how to be activists. And, and certainly that's the, the, the most fundamental and, to me, positive change with regards to this administration is, is how folks can turn around and be aggressive in defending the principles for which we all stand. Let's talk a little bit. One of your fun topics is uh, geopolitics, you know, being uh, stuff like that. Uh, a couple of different things going on right now. One, we had the talks break down this morning between the president and North Korea. Secondly, we have a uh, what what looks like it's going to turn into a shooting war between India and Pakistan. Your thoughts about geopolitical security right now? Well, listen, I, I think as I as I've long said, you know, we have we have uh, Trump's rules of acquisition, of course, based upon the Ferengi rules of acquisition. Rule number one being always be willing to walk away from the table, and rule number two being sometimes in order to demonstrate rule number one, you have to actually walk away from the table. Uh, the president has done this. I, I find it fascinating, uh, you know, and this was utterly predictable that, you know, you had Democrats who were saying the president will is desperate to take any deal. He needs a success. Um, and now uh, now that he's walked away, you have the same Democrats saying, oh, the president was too weak to make a deal. He couldn't make a deal with uh, with Kim. Um, and, and so you, you can't have it both ways. Uh, more disturbing, of course, is this issue of the shooting war between Pakistan and India. And, and going into, you know, what is a largely ignored a subject these days, which is, you know, Pakistani uh, intelligence influence uh, around the world. You know, I'm going to be sitting down with Luke Raziak from The Daily Caller later on today uh, doing a long-form interview about his book in which we had someone tied to Pakistani intelligence who is the most likely culprit in the theft of the emails from the DNC who has gone completely uh, uh, free in this without any further investigation. My suspicion is because of the embarrassment it would cause to the D.C. power structure. So you, do you, are you concerned at all that the uh, India-Pakistani shooting war becomes a limited nuclear exchange? Uh, listen, I, yes, I, I, I get concerned about these things, uh, I, but you know, this is anytime you give people who with with such great animosity towards the, uh, towards each other uh, the ability to obliterate them uh, each other with nuclear weapons, there is that there is certainly that risk. Uh, it is a, a, a cautionary tale about how conflagrations can happen. And it gets to why this idea of uh, uh, creating a no-fly zone in Syria was so fundamentally unworkable. That's how you make a, a tense, quasi-shooting uh, 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 war, a uh, relatively hot war, into an actual hot war. You mentioned that you had Luke Rosiak. You're going to interview you and Jerry for, uh, for the Langer cast. Any other interviews you've got lined up today? Uh, today, well, yeah, I mean, listen, we're going to sit down. Boy, that's that's a really good question because i got to look at the schedule. Um, I, we're supposed to sit down with Senator Rick Santorum, talk about family issues, talk about life issues, among other things. I'm uh, going to be talking with uh, the, the young man who was beat up at Berkeley last week uh, working with campus reform. Uh, that's an important issue, this uh, sort of the, the, the uh, nascent and acceptable violence uh, from left towards the right. Uh, and then, you know, it's CPAC, so whoever else we can sit down with, we're going we're gonna to grab. I do have a special request for a very big guest for the Andrew Langer Show on WBAL for Saturday. Don't think it's going to pass, but who the hell knows. Hey, you know, you can only dream, right? One last question before we let you go. Uh, I'm taking my cues today from the Andrew Langer School of Fashion and wearing the most visible and obnoxious thing humanly possible. Your thoughts? Uh, listen, I, it, as, I, as I'm fond of saying, the peacock's got a strut. And, and for you, quite literally showing the Maryland flag, uh, that, that, is, that, is, uh, um, that is both a testament to your love of the old line state, uh, as well as to your willingness to come out here and, and strut, that's, that's a good thing. 
Uh, but listen, you know, for me, uh, what Brian's referred to is uh, on Friday night, I, I break out a uh, uh, the gaudiest jacket. Hold on. You, you've broken out like a Thursday morning, too. Let's no, not. No, 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 no. Oh, no, no, yes, no, you it's have. Always, it's always, listen, there are pictures. Always. NRA TV, like a year or two. No, no. Friday morning or Friday afternoon, around about 4 o'clock, I break out the jacket, you know, as a, as a signal. It's actually going to be a little later tomorrow because uh, WBAL is going to be broadcasting, so I won't have time to go up and change. Unless I bring the jacket down with me. Maybe I'll do that. But, um, yeah, I mean, listen, it's there, there, we have to remember in all of this, yes, we have to be substantive. We have to deal with issues, serious issues on a serious basis. But events like this, part of the way you bring people together and you build the relationships, you build the coalitions, I want to add one more thing to this, Brian, uh, is through having fun. The one thing that nobody is talking about, nobody has commented on, and I haven't sort of wrapped my head around this yet, this week... Uh, yesterday, the day before yesterday, is the 10th anniversary of the Tea Party movement, in the very literal sense. The very first D.C. Tea Party was held by a bunch of folks who were attending CPAC 10 years ago on, I believe, the 27th of February, though it popped up as the 26th. Nobody is talking about where that movement went and where that stands. We're going to sit down, actually, this afternoon with Jenny Beth Martin and get to the root of that. That brings up an interesting question, because a lot of the people who elected to Congress, Freedom Caucus members, people who would be ostensibly Tea Party, people who were went to Congress to vote against the executive overreach, supported President Trump's emergency declaration the other day. Has the Tea Party lost its soul? No, listen, I think movements change over time. You know, they go a certain distance, and then Emily Duke walks by. Uh, they go a certain distance, and they, and they, and they die. And, and so... But, you know, let's remember this movement was, uh, I think, destructed. Destructed, that's not a word. It was attacked by, by myriad forces outside. Um, and, and, you know, it was, it, it was like this. It's funny. And I know you're, I know you're not a, a, fan, a big fan of the president. But, you know, you look at the president's approval ratings and, and where they are, especially given the reality of what is happening in America policy-wise. Um, and, and there is a disconnect. And the reality is that this is largely due to the fact that you have a media which is attacking this president 90% of the time. Um, you turn that around, you look at the Tea Party movement, where, again, the, the organs internally of government were being used to attack this movement, to discredit this movement. To me, it's no wonder that folks are not quite identifying with that movement anymore. And then I think, listen, there's a certain degree of naivete. Philosophy is a great thing. All of what we do has to be undergirded by philosophy. But we have to remember that there are realities on the ground, and I'm going to use this quote you've heard me use it now a number of times. This is from my father. There are many roads to utopia, all of which must traverse the surface of the earth. Very, very true. Andrew Langer, WBAL Radio, host of the LangerCast. If you haven't subscribed yet on iTunes, Stitcher, and all the other places, please do. Andrew, as always, good to see you, and I'm sure I'll craft your show later. Uh, please, please do. We would love to have you, as always. We're here with Riley Heath, who's a student at Princeton University, but also point of Turning Point USA. Now, Riley, you were telling me a story off-air about how you have actually were assaulted for being a conservative on campus. Tell us about that. Yeah, so... My vice president of the chapter of Turning Point at my school and, and I, I'm the president, uh, we decided to head over to a uh, central New Jersey Democratic Socialists of America meeting that was being held on our campus. Um, it's pretty much just a group of a bunch of full-grown adults who aren't students at my school who wanted to get together and talk about socialism. It's cool, you know, they have their free speech, but um, they also need to be open to other people coming in. And so we were there. We weren't causing any disruptions or anything, and instead they 
they like a group of seven or eight of them outside kind of confronted us and told us we needed to leave because we were taking pictures of people, um, which was just not true. So uh, I uh, I said no and and. Uh, I pretty much walked away from them, and one of them decided to follow me. Um, he tried to block us off from going into the library, um, and when I tried to go around him, he pretty much body checked me and hit my head off the doorway and started bleeding. So, were there any repercussions for this? Actually, no. I I did end up calling the police and tried to file a report, but um, it turns out that they the court never even uh, notified me of the mediation that they ended up ruling, and then. Um, the school hasn't done anything other than ask to make sure I was okay. That was pretty much it. Um, Has the school considered not allowing that group to meet on campus anymore? No, and it's if you look at it, uh, Princeton's rights, rules, and responsibilities, it's pretty much the constitution for like students and faculty at Princeton, and it says multiple times that uh, any any sort of like physical intimidation or violence is considered a serious misconduct uh, violation of, of, of conduct and. Uh, Especially for people who are not members of the university community, they're pretty much subject to uh, to full repercussions, like legal repercussions, on part of the university. So I shouldn't even have to be doing it myself. It should be the university taking action. Um, but no, they haven't even banned him. They haven't banned the Democratic Socialists of America, and they haven't banned the, the people who uh, invited them to our campus that day. So, Other than that group, how hostile is Princeton to conservatives and conservative organizations? Yeah, if... If you, you know, kind of come out and say that, you, you know, you might disagree with one of the liberal orthodoxies on campus, um, you're, you're pretty much just going to be attacked. And I, I deal with it all the time. Um, you know, people actively try and make sure I feel uncomfortable in certain places and certain situations. But um, I do it just so I can show people that that does happen. Um, because I think a lot of people don't really, they just tend, like try to stay away from politics at Princeton just so that they don't end up, you know, saying the wrong thing and lose a job down the line. And, and I don't blame them for that, especially with that kind of hostile environment. So I would say it is, it is definitely pretty hostile. Um, you can say what you want to say, but you're definitely going to have some severe repercussions if you don't agree with the status quo. If people want to learn more about Turning Point, either at Princeton or just in, or in general, how can they reach out? Uh, we're all over social media and online. Um, that's our pretty much our biggest sphere. But um, also, yeah, just reaching out to anybody here at CPAC who's wearing uh, one of their Turning Point shirts. Or, um, yeah, just look us up online, tpusa.com, or on Facebook, Instagram. We're everywhere. Riley, thanks a lot. I guess I have to say stay safe. Thank you. <laughs> We're here with Mary Walter from WMAL Radio. How is CPAC going for you so far? Well, so far so good. I mean, it just really started, but we're done with our day. So now I'm going to go in. I'm going to hear Vince talk. But there are, I love it because I think every year there are more and more people here. And I love seeing people just from all over America and internationally. There's a lot of people from around the world here to, to talk about the conservative movement. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty awesome that way. Did you, guys, did you guys have any good interviews this morning while you were on the air? No, we didn't have any. <laughs> What's well, kind of is it, is it a challenge? Are you guys broadcasting from Radio Row. You're doing a five to nine show. A lot of people are um, either not here yet, or quite frankly, sleeping it off. So. You know, is that is that a challenge for you doing a show like that? Well, actually, well, that's a challenge for us day in and day out, getting guests, you know, before 7 o'clock in the morning because everyone will li- tells us they're listening, but nobody wants to call. I'm like, you can literally call us from your bed in your pajamas and we will never know. 
But this morning with CPAC, a lot of people are up. Now, the great thing about being here at 5 is we're the only ones. Okay. There's nobody here, so it's quiet. <laughs> we get the coffee first, and, and, and it doesn't really start to get hopping till about 7 is when you start to see people roll in. So we have the first two hours in relative quiet. So we've had we had guests at the five o'clock hour. So so actually there there's a large array of guests to choose from at CPAC, which is really great. So we try to get as many as we can. Now you mentioned that Vince, your co-host, is getting ready to do a talk. What's he uh, What's his talk back about? Okay. <laughs> Didn't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> I you were going to ask me that question. I'm like, oh, God, I don't know what he's talking about. I well, we both have a copy of the agenda, and neither one of us are looking at it right now, so it could be both of our faults. <laughs> it's on my phone. It's on my app on my phone. One of the things, before we let you go, um, you know, obviously to our listeners, it's Governor Hogan's potential campaign for president has been a hot topic. Your thoughts? You know, I, I like the governor. He's a very personable man. I think that as a governor, he's great. I wouldn't mind seeing Senator Hogan if he decides to, you know, when, when his time is up as governor. Uh, as president, though, I don't think he's going to be a successful challenger to President Trump. I just don't see it. Yeah, I think it's what a lot of people are thinking right now. And as a Maryland resident, I certainly would rather him be the governor for the next You don't want to lose him as governor, right, because you don't know who's going to get in. So you want to keep him as governor. And if he has higher aspirations, I think Senate, Senator Hogan, I think is very viable. I think is very attainable. And I think he'd be a really good senator. But that's where I think he should focus his efforts. Mary Walker, WML News, good to see you. Good to see you, too. Thanks for stopping by. Maryland native Bradley Lang. How you doing, man? Doing well. How you, how's your CPAC treating you so far? Oh, this is great. I've been wanting to come for years, and this is my first time with the Towson College Republicans. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, did you see us come as a group? Uh, they're coming as a group, but they decided not to come Thursday. I came a little early. <laughs> what are you uh, looking forward to see here at CPAC this weekend? Well, I'm looking forward to see all the speakers, Congress members, members of the President's Cabinet, the Vice President, and the President. That's all awesome. Uh, a lot of the activist stuff going on here today. Is that something that, like, the activist tracks and the panels, you're going to try to sit around those as well? I'm probably going to check some of it out. Okay, sounds good. Anybody, one specific person that you really want to try to meet this weekend? And you can't say the President or the Vice President. I'd love to meet Lindsey Graham. Okay, okay, very good. Um, Towson CRs, if you want to reach out, how can I do that? Uh, you can go to Towson University's involvement website and go to the political and civic engagement section and you can find all our contact information there. Bobby Lang, good to see you. Good to see you, thanks. This is actually, uh, I used to work for ASU CPAC from 98 to 2000, so those are three. First CPAC was 1987 when I was in high school. I was not in high school. You weren't even born then, probably. I was eight. I was actually by the time, in, in, in the early 1987, I was seven, I guess. I was 15. <laughs> but uh, this is probably my 20th CPAC, probably. So, you know, one of the things I was talking to somebody about earlier was, I remember my first CPAC was 2000. It was still uh, in Crystal City. Uh, yeah, at the Gateway Marriott. And I remember how much smaller just the entire experience was. Just talk, you talked about your first one being in 1987, just how much CPAC has grown. It has grown by leaps and bounds. I was running AC, IT for ACU CPAC, I was the IT director for ACU CPAC in, in 2000, your first CPAC. And you remember, that was the first year where we had computers to do registrations. 
we basically rented about uh, 20 computers, daisy chained them together and formed a cobbled network together, used one Microsoft Access file to access everything and made things all that faster. When Mark for a CPAC, they had these big printouts books with your names in it. You had to go and they had to check you off and they gave you the credentials. Based on this story, I might have been fun, but we'll save that conversation for another time. Um, anything that you're learning, are you going to be here all through this? I know, I, yeah, I've been here since actually Tuesday night. Okay. Anything that uh, that you've done so far that's really exciting, or anything that you're looking forward to doing during the rest of the season? Uh, I'm looking to meet up with people, live old friends, come to this. Uh, as I said, I've been around for years, uh, and it um, sort of feels kind of like a dinosaur, but not quite yet. Uh, it's like, uh, as I said, I've got stage two OLD. And uh, I mean, let me connect with a lot of friends. I, uh, I talked to Matt Schlapp, the ACU chairman. He's got a new book out. And I mentioned to Ian Walters, who just met, about how, hey, we need to get Matt out of Montgomery County for a book event. He was our Lungany dinner speaker a few years ago. He's got a book. Let's do a book event. So we're probably going to be doing a book event with Matt Schlapp sometime in March. And that's one of the good things about CPAC is the ability to network, the ability to, to wave the flag, as, as you know, I'm doing here today with my shirt, uh, meeting a lot of Marylanders who will come in. Have you met any Marylanders so far? This is something that's always been a frustration for me. Marylanders who are really keen in on national politics, but not so much on local. Have you met any of those yet? Uh, I've met a several number of Marylanders. It's nice to see more Marylanders coming to ACU CPAC. As I mentioned, when I was running, when I was uh, the IT director for ACU CPAC back in the 90s and 2000, usually you'd see Katja Bullock here, you'd see Alex Mooney, you'd see a handful of Maryland people, but now it's nice to see we're seeing grassroots people like I saw. Shannon Wright, former third vice chair here. I saw um, Sandy Tuttle from my county. She's on the central committee. She's attending. Uh, there's a lady, uh, who else did I see? Mary Jaffe. I've seen yourself, Brian Griffiths. You know, I saw him here. Uh, it's good to see Marylanders here, you know, because it's a shame that, you know, we're, you know, I really kind of wish if the state party would have had, like, something, a presence here as well. It would have been kind of nice. But, you know, I know it's a budgetary thing. I remember in the old days when I was over at ACU CPAC, uh, a sponsorship was two thousand dollars. Now the uh, the sponsorships, I think, are like ten grand, five grand, fifteen, twenty, fifty grand. And uh, so, yeah. Well, that Maryland certainly doesn't have that kind of money, and I'm glad the state party is not spending it on CPAC. That's why good to see you. Enjoy, enjoy your twentieth CPAC. Thanks. Thank you, Brian. We're here with Jerry Faith from Charles County. How you doing today? Excellent. Yeah, um, how many CPACs have you been to before? This is my second one. Okay. What are you looking forward to most about this weekend CPAC? Well, um, the most important thing is that President Trump is truthful, trustworthy, transparent, and Twitter. And all these people here believe that also. And I believe that the president um, loves every single American, whether you voted for him or not. And uh, I really appreciate that. Any of the uh, other speakers, other, I mean, obviously the president and the vice president are going to be here over the weekend. Yeah. Any of the other speakers you're looking forward to trying to meet? Well, I've looked at the program, and every single one excites me. Uh, I've already seen um, uh, Lieutenant Colonel uh, North Senator Mike Lee, um, and it's just a pleasure to hear them. I won't be able to come to see the president. I saw him last year, but I'll be in the synagogue uh, Saturday morning. I'm of the Jewish faith. But that doesn't bother me, you know, that um, 
I, I, I'll, all my best wishes are always for him. Well, Joe, good to see you. Thanks a lot for talking. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Here's our good friend, Jerry Rogers, the Langercast, WBAL. How you doing, man? I'm on Red Maryland right now, so I'm good. Red Maryland in the house. We are in the house today, and again, I, I, as I as I told Andrew earlier, shirt, yeah. yeah, I'm borrowing from the Andrew Langer School of Fashion. Yeah. Um, as he talks about peacocks and some other nonsense. <laughs> so I, I had your colleague on uh, on, a, on my program last Sunday talking about uh, an issue that only Red Maryland is covering, and that is this uh, this assisted physician assisted suicide bill. So uh, that and other issues in Annapolis, again. They're not being covered anywhere else. So, so th- I mean, you guys are doing yeoman's work, and I appreciate it very much. We appreciate that. I was actually sitting on the podcast um, seminar uh, panel discussion, whatever, and they actually mentioned one of the best ways to get noticed is to talk about those issues, state issues, and to create your niche. Uh, and actually, we actually talked about Ryan Anderson from Heritage wrote an op-ed about it. Greg interviewed Greg him yesterday running on our show tonight, which we'll, this, of course, will air after that, but that's neither here nor well, there. The, the show, the good work that you're doing, uh, the next day I did a Sunday show. So, so, um, so Greg came on, Greg Klein came on uh, WBAL with me on on Saturday. We talked about this and other issues. The next morning, one of the witnesses who testified in favor of the bill called the show. And what was nice was we were able to have a a uh, a, a a conversation. Uh, disagreed without being disagreeable. Good guy, except that he wants you know assisted suicide. But I said to him, I said, I said, listen, here's here's the bottom line with this issue. Where where there's life, there's always hope. And also, um, with all these safeguards, he, he, about this assisted physician bill, he talked about all the safeguards. And I said, well, that should raise a red flag. If this is no big deal, if this is just uh, doctors providing care to their patients, why do we need ream after ream after ream of safeguards? Why? Because we can go down a slippery slope where once you, once you uh, disrespect the ethic of life, then who knows where we're going with this? And that's that's the real danger. A slippery slope we've been slipping down since at least 1973. Yep. How many CPACs is this for you now? Oh my goodness, we tried to do this once before. I've been coming to CPAC since I'm in college, and I've been out of college for about 30 years. So, so I don't know. This is like number 20. I always forget that you can't. You you look like you cannot possibly be that old. I know. Well, I'm not that old. I'm very handsome, but um, uh, my wife. I I don't come every single year. Uh, but with Langer, I've been here the last five, six years, and you know, I don't know, I, uh, I've been to many, over twenty. Andrew likes to say every CPAC is different, and this CPAC is no different. I know you just got here. I did. Uh, but what do you think will be different about this CPAC? Looking into the, looking into your crystal ball. Well, I tell you what, I think that the president will have more support at CPAC than he's had in years past. Uh, I think that there's actually a record now. Look, we know what this president is, right? He's a loud mouth. He's a he's a he uh, he he plays fast and loose uh, with his uh, with his facts. But one fact that's undeniable: uh, the economy is going in the right direction. Uh, we have what three percent growth over the last four quarters. I think uh, I think we we've seen real rate uh, wage incre- uh, increase for the first time in a decade. Um, that's number one. Number two, I, I also that's so I think the president will have more support here. The second thing is, I think that I think conservatives are waking up. Look. We all know this Jesse Smollett thing. Fake, a fake uh, uh, political attack. Yet right now we know that there was a student uh, out at a Berkeley who was, who was really attacked. 
And so I think there's a, uh, there's a gathering storm of, of conservatives, people on the right, who are going to start pushing back and for every lie, tell the truth. That's what I think. And I will say this too, I actually interviewed a student earlier who's from Turning Point at Princeton, mm -hmm. was actually attacked by a group of democratic socialists uh, recently as well. So as you said, this level of violence, something that we saw... Um, You've probably seen it by this point. We had the secretary of the Maryland Democratic Party call gun owners domestic terrorists and, a, and yes. wanted to dox them. This is becoming a trend all over the country. I know. And, you know, speaking of that, on the news in, I heard that a delegate had used the N-word. Yes. And now there's calls for her to resign. I had no idea what party she belongs to. Democrat. Oh, really? Shocker. So here's the thing about that, too. And, to, and to, the, to their credit, the Democrats' credit, to their party's credit, they have called for her resignation. Yeah, but as we know from our neighbors in Virginia, Northam, who dressed in a Klan's outfit uh, and has been lying about it, uh, just because they're caught in the act of, of, of racism or near racism doesn't mean that they're going to be held accountable. Amen to that. Right. Well, Jerry, good to see you, buddy. Your show's on Saturday mornings, 11, 7 to 10? Sunday morning. Sunday morning, 7 to 10. Yes. And not Saturday mornings. Before church. Sundays, 7 to 10. Yes. WBAL. Good to see you, buddy. All right, you too. Thank you. You can help Red Maryland grow our reach when you visit redmaryland.com and click on the Amazon link and shop as normal. A portion of your purchase will come back to Red Maryland to help us grow. Additionally, you can buy Red Maryland t-shirts, drinkware, and other gear from our Zazzle store at zazzle.com slash redmaryland. We want to hear from you. Email us at any time at redmaryland at gmail.com. You can also leave audio feedback on our Red Maryland talkback line at 410-205-4875. We might use your feedback on our programming. You are listening to Maryland's most trusted conservative voice, the Red Maryland Network. Be sure to follow Red Maryland on all of the major social networking sites. You can follow us at Red Maryland on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Google+, Snapchat, and Tumblr to get the latest from Red Maryland. And be sure to follow the home base for all things Red Maryland, redmaryland.com. Celebrating five years as Maryland's only network that matters. You're listening to the Red Maryland Network. We're here with fellow Marylander Dave Wallace, who is representing you representing the Fair Energy Foundation today. What's Fair Energy Foundation? Uh, Fair Energy Foundation is a uh, public charity specifically designed to promote free market energy, uh, not a uh, fascist style of energy where it's going to be imposed on people whether they like it or not and we promote free markets and abundant energy in the internet with an international focus because everybody has to pull together and we know what the, the uh, OPEC nations do and yet we know what other nations are trying to do to help promote energy but then in addition to that we're for the rule of law the United States is the only place in the world that has such robust property rights that extend extend to mineral rights. Right. And those are the elements that have been put into place to make us now energy secure, energy independent. And we've turned away from that premise that we have peak oil. Because within the last month, the Department uh, and, and the EIA, the Energy Information Administration, has determined 
that we are now at 12 million barrels of oil production per day on average per week. And yet, we probably achieve that in November because they're always behind the curve. They can never stick with the curve that is actually already there. And as soon as they produce, their numbers are 5%, 10% lower. And we continue to exceed all expectations of our U.S. government who analyzes this and surveys it on a uh, weekly basis. Well, tell us some of the activities the Fair Energy Foundation is undertaking. Well, one of the things we're promoting, and as I mentioned to you, uh, property rights. In Maryland, there has been a regulatory taking of property rights in Western Maryland relative to the production of uh, oil and natural gas in our Marcellus and Utica Shale formations. That is a regulatory taking. And under the 14th Amendment, no American, unless it's through legal uh, course of action, should, and it's illegal under the Constitution for anybody to lose that right of property under the 14th Amendment. So that's one of the elements. The other element is that the uh, United States uh, government, through the EPA, has gotten involved specifically in regulating CO2. And that was under the endangerment finding under the Supreme Court. Today, we can easily petition the EPA to look at that issue and determine whether or not CO2 is an injurious gas or not. And we believe at Fair Energy Foundation that it is not an injurious gas. As a matter of fact, without CO2, life on this planet would end. CO2 is the structural building block, the skeletal building block of everything that consists of life on this planet. And when people try to scare others, they say there's too much of it. Now, if we look at that number and we remember Elizabeth Warren having discussed how much of an Indian she was, (laughs) and the president has called her Focahontas, as in fake, it then became known after she did her DNA test that she was only 1 1,024th. Now, people have now mocked her over her lie. So how does that relate to CO2? If we look at the amount of CO2 in the atmosphere, and we look at binary numbers, like 1, 1,024th, there's less CO2 in the atmosphere than Elizabeth Warren is Cherokee. As a matter of fact, (laughs) you could cut that by one binary unit to 1, 2,048th, and then you'd still be high. Wow. By how much? And you can remember this because 22% of the atmosphere... Just nominally, 22%, a little less, is oxygen. Right. And it's 22% less. CO2 is 22% less than 1 2048th. Okay. CO2 is critical. The more CO2 we have in the atmosphere, the more green the Earth becomes. It's a proven relationship. Okay. If people want to learn more about the Fair Energy Foundation, how can they do that? It's very easy. Just repeat the name, fairenergyfoundation.org, and that's our website. All right, Dave Ball, it's good to see you. It's great to see you. We're here with Liz Matoli. Liz, how are you doing? I'm great. Great seeing you. 
How many CPACs is this for you now? This is officially my third. Okay. Yeah, because obviously for a long time this was not this would not have been your. This is a scary place for me. <laughs> very very scary for me until today. So what are you uh, what are you looking for this weekend? A couple things actually. My pastor um, is releasing his new book, uh, Wolf Among Lambs. It's exposing the sexual abuse in the Baptist church now. So I'm helping him get some press Friday, and of course, helping drain the swamp um, one person at a time. Um, so, you know, just absorbing people, connecting with people, and being at CPAC. I gotta tell you, it's it's not a surprise. Obviously, you talked about the sexual abuse scandal in the Baptist Church. Obviously, um, yeah, as a Catholic and you as a former Catholic, know all too much what's going on in in the Catholic Church. And I think it just goes to show you. I know one of the things that the the liberal Catholics have been talking about is, oh, this proves we have to let priests marry. Well, that's not really the the solution either. And it's it's good that all the stories are getting out there, and we can put these people um, where they belong, which is which is in jail. Any of the speakers, other than the I've been asked this question to everybody other than the president and the vice president. Uh, any speakers you're looking forward to uh, to hearing this weekend? You know, I look forward to having this concentration of conservatives in Maryland, you know? I love connecting with the people, really. Um, you know, being on the big stage is great, but the connections that you make um, on the ground, if you will, are priceless. Yeah, and that's the thing, too. Obviously, this is my first seat pack was almost 20 years ago now. Yeah. 2000, yeah, when I was in college. And... Um, you know, like you said, everybody focuses on what's going on the main stage, but the real work is getting done here on Radio Row, where we're standing now, downstairs in the hub, at the bars, and everything else. Like you said, the networking to make those connections and to make things possible. Absolutely, and again, like I technically got my, I guess I've dived in like head first in my first seat back in 2016. One of my former friends, not friends anymore, Eugene Craig actually brought me through Radio Row and got me a lot of good interviews for my first congressional race. And so by once you get one, then you become like a veteran, right? Um, so I look forward to connecting with more and more people to spread the word. Now, like me, you've got a media badge here today. Hopefully your process to getting a media badge was a little easier than mine was this morning. But um, so what, what are you doing here as far as, as, far as media? Is it just, uh, just working with your pastor or you have some other stuff going on? Right, so as I said, I've been trying to sort of formalize a lot of my organic work, if you will. I started a media company a couple of years ago that I started running for Congress, and so this year I'm focusing back on my company, <laughs> finally, um, and creating um, a training program for candidates across the country. Um, in 2018, as you know, there's so many amazing candidates that still only got the 30 to 35% of the vote. So we need more people to work together to make sure that we get more people in county council level, state level, and federal level, because we need patriots representing us. So I am launching Drain the Swamp Boot Camp. That's the reason why I'm wearing the shirt. And um, trying to get the word out and get more people involved and really committed to save this, this uh, republic. Do you have any of those trainings scheduled upcoming in Maryland, or are you still working on that schedule? It's going to be mostly online. Okay. So uh, obviously in Maryland it'll be easier to do um, in person, but there's a lot of tools out there online that people use. If you can make videos how to sell you know, things on Amazon, <laughs> I think you can use those same tools to really get citizens activated into their own country. If people want to learn more about your Drain the Swamp program, how can they do it? Actually, the website is conservetherepublic.com, conservetherepublic.com, and sign up, and uh, we are formalizing the train and uh, getting, getting things squared away. Liz Matoy, good to see you again. Thank you. We're here with Marie Fisher and Bella Hambrick. How are you guys doing? Oh, doing great. I'm doing great.
Now, how many CPACs is this for you guys? This is our first. Yeah, we're both, uh, this is our first CPAC. Oh, we're newbies. Okay. <laughs> it's only funny because my first one was literally 19 years ago now. Oh, so, wow. yeah, 2000. <laughs> and it was back, you know, back then it was um, Crystal City Marriott, much smaller footprint, none of this broadcast row wow. and all that other stuff. So it's, it's, it's a lot different. So um, your, your, uh, your impressions so far? Um, I like it. I think that there's a lot of, like, really good resources. I love how many young people are here. I love that there are yes. more people my age than there are people your age. Like, and, and how, how, old, how old do you think I am? You know I'm only 28, right? I didn't. Okay. Yeah. Right. How do you think I am, though? Like 38. Yeah, that was pretty good. 39. <laughs> <laughs> well, depending on what you mean, it's, 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 you know, the one thing that ACU does really well is the fact they do have the... Um, the student tickets and they may do make it very accessible for people your age um, I'm a full time student <laughs> on top of working full time and <laughs> I'm not really one to talk I'm here on a media badge I'm just free riding everybody's registration so I mean I didn't pay for any of this so uh, Marie you're awesome. ah, I love it I do love it I love the diversity I love I mean I see all the media here and you know you people say mainstream media but when I look up and down and I see all the names I know and people I know why are we a bigger force than we are? We should be writing our narrative instead of reacting to our narrative. One of the things I think that's important, um, you know, we talked, and I, I talked about this before, is that, you know, a lot of speeches happen in the room, but this is where people get the opportunity to network, you know, talking, like you said, to the media, all the stuff down in the, in, in the CPAC hub. Have you guys had the opportunity to make those kind of connections yet with people, not just in Maryland, but from around the country? No, we've just only been here, what, an hour? Oh, okay. we just got here. <laughs> However, there are, like, um, the Leadership Institute is actually doing a lot of things to help people who want to get hired and want to get involved in offering classes and a job fair and all these things, and I think that that's, like, going to be really good as well. Because even if, like, you're, uncon- you're self-conscious about, like, you know, some of this networking, because it is a little overwhelming, it's a little crowded. So <laughs> it's it's actually this is actually pretty good. By the time you guys get to Saturday, it'll be a complete and total zoo. Especially, I think the president's speaking Saturday. I'm bringing my kids on the weekend Saturday. Hey, you know what? It's always good to get kids started at a young age. So they're very conservative. I told my daughter, I'm like, you could come here and wear your MAGA hat and not worry. <laughs> <laughs> Other than the president and the vice president, any speakers that you guys are really looking forward to hearing from? Matt Levin from Kentucky. I honestly think he is the rising star in the GOP. The only reason why I keep telling people we need to tell our stories because, you know, a lot of people think if you're conservative, you have a silver spoon, you're privileged, you're this and that. When you hear his story and how he came up, and people don't realize there are a lot of conservatives who start off poor or, you know, I wasn't wealthy all my life. I wasn't wealthy. My parents were poor too. And we all worked hard to get where we are. People need to hear more stories, especially like his. Because then people realize, oh, conservatives are just like us. I They started in one place, and now they're in another. And anybody can do it. So he's the person people need to see, and I want to see. I'm actually more excited for a lot of the, like, not so much the speakers as much as, like, the content of the classes. Like, keeping your right to bear arms. There's the pro-Israel one. There's... Um, just so many getting women to run. I just think that these are so educational, and I just want to like get all the knowledge. Not really so much a specific person as most more like what I'm about to learn. Now, as far as um, kind of the clubs, obviously Greater White Comic Republican Women, Maryland Federation of Republican Women, uh, Republican Club of Frederick County. Are you guys? Are other people from the clubs coming down this week? I don't know. Some people say they are. Some people are not. We're just 
I don't think it's been a, a organized effort. It's sort of like people have been coming in and out when they can. And I'm pretty sure with Trump announcing, you will see a lot of people show up. Also <laughs> kind of yeah, I'm in the same boat. I think um, the people who are going to come have already here. We just haven't found them yet. And then Saturday. All right, sounds good. Anything you guys want to plug? Um, well, we'll, be, we'll be there. Greg and I will be there. Be at the great uh, the uh, Republican uh, Club of Frederick County on April 11th. I know that. Uh, anything else? Uh, we're also having a meeting March uh, March 14th, and we're going to have Marilyn Light to Life coming. Oh, perfect, especially with the vote coming up this week about the uh, the uh, assisted suicide, or I call it state-sanctioned homicide. But anything to, you have an event coming up on the 14th that I'm sorry I can't make, but let people know about it. Yeah, um, we're actually going to have a pizza party with Evan Young, so just come kick it, learn some stuff, and just like really enjoy pizza. It's pie day, so we want to celebrate. It is pie day, and if, if you don't like pie, uh, pizza pie, I don't really want to know you. <laughs> <laughs> Marie Fisher, Bella Hamburg, good to see you guys. Good to see you. Look at Caden Snyder from Washington County. Caden, it's Caden's first CPAC. Your thoughts so far? Um, I've got to meet a lot of uh, influential people. I just met Chris Kobach um, and a lot of good speakers. Laura Engel was just up there. Um, it's just been really fun to get out of uh, the area I'm used to being in and talking to like-minded people, and it's just been really fun to be able to do that. Have you had a chance to go downstairs and see Pack Hub? Yeah, I was there last night, and I was there, I just was down there a little bit ago, and it's... Anything, anything interesting you see down there? Yeah, I um, saw a, uh, I forget what the organization's called, but they pay you two grand a month to go places and knock on doors and stuff, and uh, I, I did that for Hogan last year anyway, so I thought, you know, why not try that out, so I submitted an application, and... I'm gonna try that out. Hey, always, anytime you can help the cause and make a few bucks, it's always a always a good thing. Now, other than the president and the vice president, I've asked this question to everybody: What speaker are you most looking forward to hearing from, and the person you most hope to meet this weekend? Uh, I'd probably say uh, Ben Carson and Senator Josh Hawley. Uh, I like both of them. They're especially Josh Hawley, new conservative, a new mind, um, especially because he got Claire McCaskill out of there. She was just really bad. So I'm kind of excited about his speech tomorrow. Especially, and he, uh, he actually has gotten a lot of press recently for actually standing up for life, I know, with the issue uh, regarding an appeals court judge down in D.C. How much of what you've learned so far here today do you think, um, or the, uh, CPAC in general, do you hope you'll be able to take back and, uh, and apply you know, to, to getting conservatives elected and moving the cause forward? Well, I've, I've, I've saw a lot of good organizations. I Hopefully I can bring that back to Washington County, get some other people involved in that. I know they're looking for people, volunteers and stuff, so hopefully we can get some of the people signed up for those stuff. Um, I think it's going to be a really good to move our um, state and our county forward. Okay, well, it's good to see you again. Enjoy the CPAC. All right, thank you. Nice to meet you. I'm talking to Brian Griffiths of RedMaryland.com, which is sort of the, uh, the the counterpoint to Bering Drift on the other side of the Potomac. And I'm talking to Rick Sincere from Bering Drift, who is the red counterpart to Red Maryland on the other side of the Potomac. So uh, <laughs> We're actually simulcasting this podcast on two different digital recorders right now, this, which is pretty funny. This, this is amazing. I, I like having conversations like this because I like to find out what people are thinking about conservative politics, libertarian politics, and what's going on in the country. What are you observing here at CPAC, Brian? What are you seeing about the movement this weekend? Well, the movement right now is definitely behind the president. Um, for better or for worse, I leave it to the listener to decide. Um, I can tell you that my, you know, we're obviously we're in Maryland, 
uh, home of the most popular governor in the country, Larry Hogan, one who is may or may not be considering running for president in 2020. Um, as I've told people kind of repeatedly, if, if Larry Hogan runs for president, I may very well be on the first plane to New Hampshire to help him out. But God, I hope he doesn't run for president because, you know, we have Larry Hogan is the first Republican governor elected uh, to a second term since 1958, the year my parents were, was born. Um, you know, I mean, we've only had won three election, Republican elections in my lifetime. The Democrats in Maryland are still kind of on the ascendant ascendancy because Governor Hogan easily defeated Ben Jealous, who, you know, the Democrats nominated a real socialist, and you see what it got them in a competitive race. But the Democrats picked up a lot of seats up and down the ballot in in Maryland. I mean, even, you know, for example, in my county, in Anne Arundel County, which is where Annapolis is, um, they elected a county clerk who was a Democrat for the first time that anybody can remember. I mean, so it was kind of a, it was kind of a bloodbath on the down ballot. Um, so we, we need Governor Hogan to stay in Maryland and, and finish out his term. Now, you guys on the other side of the Potomac, and I do have a connection here. I've got a lot of family. My, my mom grew up in Spotsylvania County, uh, so I have a lot of connections to, to Virginia. You guys have had a much, shall we say, more interesting more couple, of, couple of weeks. Yeah, uh, yeah our, 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 uh, our General Assembly session this year was quite colorful because of the scandals that uh, descended on the top three office holders in Virginia. Uh, you don't really see that in Maryland. I mean, not since maybe Spiro Agnew. Uh, he, he was vice president by that yeah, point. Right. Uh, but uh, on the other hand, the Democrats uh, were on the ascendancy in Virginia. In the 2017, they almost won control of the House of right. Delegates. And they're on the way to control the General Assembly this fall. But what's happening with uh, Governor Northam, Lieutenant Governor uh, Fairfax, and Attorney General Herring might affect the voting this fall. When uh, when all 140 seats in the General Assembly are for re-election, uh, what what does it look like to you from across the Potomac? What does Virginia politics look like to somebody who's more attuned to Maryland politics? A clown show at the moment, quite frankly. Um, you know, it's like the fact. First, it was the governor. I mean, I I got mad at Northam. You know, to start with, with his comments on the radio about partial birth abortion. I mean, that was beyond the pale. He should have he should have been forced out of office for that before any of this other stuff came out. And then it was just became almost a joke where it seemed like every couple of days, the next person in line who everybody thought was going to be governor, um, there was a scandal about that person. Um, it, it just, it's, it's fascinating. It's interesting because, you know, a lot of a lot of Maryland Republicans have talked in the past about becoming more like Virginia, uh, more being a purple state. And, you know, Maryland is very, very democratic, very, very, I mean, we have legitimate democratic socialists in our General Assembly. One of the bills that was introduced this year was to create a $3 billion uh, public housing fund to basically just have free housing for people, not necessarily like the projects or not necessarily like public housing like you and I think of it, but basically subsidized housing for everybody. We have one delegate who introduced a bill um, that would require news programs, ill-defined, to have disclaimers on them that says, well, this may not necessarily be true because you have Democrats who are out there who are afraid to defend their ideas in, in the public sphere. You had the secretary of the Maryland um, Democratic Party the other day. We have, a, we have gun days in, in Maryland where, where they, just, they just go through all the gun bills. And, the gun, and you know, people think you know, Maryland's a very Democratic state, and our gun laws are bad, very bad. You know, we don't have concealed carry in the way that, like, Virginia does or a lot of states do. But Democrats want to go further and further. The secretary of the Maryland Democratic Party, who was a failed candidate himself, came out and said, let's dox these homegrown terrorists, gun owners. He wants to dox them. Um, we had a delegate, a member of the House of Delegates, 
who um, in Prince George's County, where we are, referred uh, to this county because it has a high African American population as a well. I'm not going to repeat the word. I've, I've heard the news. Yeah, reports. I mean, and this this is the kind of nonsense that Democrats think they can just get away with, and that there's going to be no repercussions. Uh, we're, we're a little different than Virginia insofar as you guys elect your house every two years, and then I believe your Senate elections are staggered. So every four years. Every four years, but you have... But they're, they're not staggered terms. But they're not staggered terms. Years. So, you know, our senators serve for four years, but our house serves for four years as well, and their elections are in gubernatorial years, and those elections are in... Um, midterm election year. So whereas you guys have elections in odd number of years and that is the focus, we basically have all of our elections which really set the tone for state and local policy. You know, we're electing state, you know, state legislators, the governor, the comptroller, the attorney general. The majority of our county elected officials are being elected. So, you know, there's not going to be an election for those guys until 2022 now. So all of this stuff's going on. The Democrats do a very good job of putting the most controversial legislation, like they're doing the Fight for 15, they're doing some of these gun bills. They try to put that as far away from the election as possible. The thing that we've got going on for us is the fact that we have, this is the first time a Republican has controlled redistricting in the modern era. Uh, before 1962, we had, our state Senate was elected, we had two senators per county, uh, actually, excuse me, one senator per county and two for Baltimore City. Uh, that was thrown out in the Supreme Court in 62 under one man, one vote. So this is the first time in the modern era where we have a Republican who's in control of redistricting. Right now, Governor Hogan is had to appoint an emergency redistricting commission because the 6th Congressional District uh, was deemed unconstitutional. So they went all the way to the Supreme Court, and the court said, hey, you gotta, you got to redraw this, and they have to do it before the next election, so before we even get to redistricting. Governor Hogan uh, has appointed, appointed a nine-member commission, three Democrats, three Republicans, three independents, to draw the lines, whereas when Martin O'Malley was governor, he appointed... Uh, basically five stooges, one of which was a Republican stooge for himself as well, who just basically drew whatever lines Democrats wanted. That's going to ultimately change not just our congressional delegation. You know, we have a seven-to-one Democratic majority congressional delegation, but as recently as 2002, it was 4-4. You know, people, like I said, people think Maryland's so Democratic, but we had a 4-4 split as recently as 2002. Uh, the big thing for us is going to be it's going to redraw our legislative lines because whereas most states, and I think Virginia is like this too, it's single-member districts in the House, we have, you can have up to three members in a district. So some people get three members of the House of Delegates, you know, some get two, some get one, which of course, you know, some people get more representation than others. But he's going to redraw those lines, hopefully with single-member districts. That's going to radically change for the better our um, you know, our our state house and state senate because it's going to improve not just conservative representation but it's also going to improve asian american representation african american representation which the white democratic base has kind of suppressed for a long time now what do you think ultimately is going to be the long-term impacts if any and i'm not just talking about this election but beyond this election for the virginia democratic party based on all of these scandals i i think that both uh, the individuals involved Perhaps not just in Fairfax, but certainly Ralph Northam is going to survive this, and I think the, the party will be able to ride it out too, uh, because it's going to come to the point where people are saying, is something somebody did 30 or 40 years ago, as offensive as it might have been, something that has an effect on what kind of person they are now? If there's a pattern over a period of years, that's one thing, but if it's a one-off event 30 or 40 years ago, and every single politician 
has something in their past that is embarrassing, and it will just become a, a war of attrition. Uh, almost a mutually assured destruction, looking through high school yearbooks, looking through college yearbooks to try to find a, an embarrassing photograph of someone. And I think at some point, people are going to call it truce. And what's happened in Virginia is having an effect all over the country where people are looking through high school <laughs> and college yearbooks and old uh, college and, and high school newspapers. And so I, I think there's going to be a sort of philosophical truce that's drawn on that. I, I think it's interesting that you mentioned redistricting because Virginia is also uh, going through litigation on that matter. Uh, and uh, the uh, General Assembly just approved the constitutional amendment which it, it's at the beginning of the process they would uh, create an independent redistricting body. Uh, if it passes again next year, it will go to the voters and it will take effect in time for redistricting in 2021. It's interesting that you say that only because Maryland, um, Governor Hogan has been pushing redistricting for ever since he was running for governor. The Democrats have refused to move any redistricting reforms because they assume that the pendulum is going to turn back that way and that they're going to have the governorship going forward after this one you know, blip in the radar, if you will. It's funny because Maryland keeps the legislative leadership in Maryland keeps pushing this idea of we're not going to unilaterally disarm. Mm -hmm. uh, and they actually push this this crazy idea of let's have an interstate compact. It was Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware, and New York that says only we'll only do independent redistricting when all of these other states do independent redistricting by this certain date. Yeah, it's, it's insane. That makes no sense. Well, because what, welcome does to <laughs> what does it matter whether New Jersey has a different kind of redistricting than Virginia? You know, it, 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 it's, it's not like the Electoral College. Yeah, and, and what you were talking about, uh, multi-member districts, we had those in Virginia until the early 1980s. Right. Uh, and that was changed because of litigation at the end. Uh, uh, I think we do fine with the single-member districts, but I'd be willing to experiment with multi-member districts if it meant uh, better representation, not only for the you know, uh, racial, ethnic groups, but also for uh, third parties like the Libertarians and the Greens. It would be nice to get some representation at the state level. I, I think the best way to do that is kind of what New York does. Uh, and that's kind of an issue I've kind of pushed quietly in Maryland is, you know, what, what New York does is they allow candidates to run on... In, in, like multiple lines. Right, multiple so, for example, lines. you could run as a Republican and as a conservative, and so and that's happened in the past. I don't know uh, how many listeners remember 2009, a special election where Didi Scazzafezza was a Re Republican nominee for Congress in the 23rd district in a special election. Doug Hoffman was the con conservative nominee. Hoffman almost wound up winning that race because all the Republicans bailed because you had. Um, a very liberal Republican was nominated in this special election. So it not only gives other parties the opportunity to elect candidates, but it also is kind of a check to make sure that uh, if the party strays too far afield from their voters, there's another avenue for them to, um, you know, to kind of express their frustration, you know, if you will. Another, but, another uh, uh, voting law that's getting some traction in Virginia right now is ranked choice voting. Which is uh, already that's happening in, in Maryland. It's too. happening in a number of states uh, and cities. 
uh, you know, they, they just elected a member of Congress through ranked choice voting in Maine. Yes. Uh, and a lot of litigation came out of that, too. Yeah, but, I, have uh, my, my fr- I, have, I have a lot of friends in Maine. It's certainly not unconstitutional, but uh, it's, it's an interesting uh, way of, of going, and I'm surprised at how many members of the Virginia General Assembly are supporting it. When it was introduced last year mm-hmm. uh, by Delegate Nick Freitas, I, I said, this isn't going to get out of committee. It got to a four vote. Now, is this Democrats or Republicans who are pushing this? Both. Okay, that's interesting because, you know, basically the Republican Party is united. It's rare for the Republican Party to be united on a lot of things in Maryland, but they are united universally against this uh, because the expectation is is that in a lot of places you won't get a Republican to vote for, like Baltimore City, for example, or Montgomery County. So you'd go to a general election and you would basically just have the Democratic nominee, um, you know, be, you know, you have two Democrats and that's... You know, that's the choice. Now, and the bill in Maryland was just kind of was withdrawn. One of the bills in Maryland was withdrawn. One last question I got for you before I think we, we can wrap it up. Yeah, we should. Is um, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, we know that the Democratic nominee is going to win Maryland in the mm-hmm. presidential election. Do you think that President Trump is in a good position or a bad position to win Virginia? Oh, I don't think he can win Virginia. Uh, I, you, he lost Virginia, the only state in the South that uh, voted for Hillary Clinton. Uh, and... Uh, his support in Virginia is broad but not deep. And I think as uh, more and more uh, farmers, uh, people who work in manufacturing, realize how Trump's policies on trade and immigration are hurting them, uh, the more they will be likely to vote against him in, in the fall of 2020. Well, Rick Sincere, BearingDrift.com, Virginia's leading conservative blog. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Brian Griffiths, thank you for joining us from uh, RedMaryland.com. I'm glad to have run into you today. Good to talk to you. Great. We're here with Matt Adams, third vice chairman of the Maryland Republican Party. Matt, how many seat packs is this for you? This is my first, actually. Wow, okay. Um, you just get here this morning? Yep, yep, here for the day just to check it out and see what's going on. Anybody you're looking forward to uh, hearing from today and just, just just kind of making the rounds? Just making the rounds. Just making the rounds, looking around, seeing all the excitement, uh, looking for next year to see what next year is going to be. I may come next year now that I've been here. It's a long ride from Somerset County. Yeah, so I'm surprised you're only staying for the one day, but if you ever look at the hotel prices around here, you'll know why you probably made the right choice. <laughs> you need to, get, you need to be like me, get a media badge it's some sort of come up with a media thing and then they, you can just get in for free well i have to consider that one. <laughs> i would have thought that some of my leadership in the state party in maryland would have got me a ticket but i didn't ask so i can't blame them for not doing so um obviously the maryland for trump campaign has started back up tell folks about that we're getting things fired up. We have a lot of great people who worked last year, or 2016, did a great job, made the state proud of our, our job here for Trump. We're trying to get those people that want to be involved back involved, and we're looking for new people that want to get involved. Um, we got to get it done. Maryland's got to get its party rebuilt, and we got to work hard for our president. That's our two goals. And you and I had a conversation about this off air previously uh, about how important it is not just to um, you know for the, for the president's reelection because obviously that's going to be an uphill battle no matter no matter how good things are for Republicans in Maryland, but also as it relates to building for 2022, building for local elections. How are we going to, or how best can we as a party? transfer that energy and that enthusiasm for people who are support the president but may not necessarily be people who are paying attention or involved to what's happening at the county, state, local level. 
It's all about having conversations with people one-on-one, -on -one, one friend, one relative, one neighbor at a time to make sure they understand what Donald Trump is doing for the country. And he is doing things that are making huge strides in Maryland and that we've got to get behind the conservative values and go back to that core. We love babies in Maryland. We love guns in Maryland. And the Democrat Party is trying to take both of those away from us. Well, especially for those three folks who saw what Robbie Leonard said earlier this week, talking about doxing gun owners and everything like that. Um, you know, it kind of shows you how out there the Democrats, the Democrats really are. And I know that kind of language, uh, that dog don't hunt on the shore. No, no, that kind of stuff only gets you hurt on the lower shore. <laughs> but you know, they're all rabid um, about their issues, and as Republicans, we need to become rabid about our and be proud to be conservatives. The time is here. If folks want to know more about the uh, Maryland for Trump campaign, how can they do that? Uh, right now we have the Maryland for Trump Facebook page, which is very easy to find. And if you would like to volunteer in the state, you can go to signup.marylandfortrump.com. So I'll wait for you to tell me who you are, and we'll plug you in in the state so we can all make a difference. Matt Adams, third vice chairman of the Maryland Republican Party. Good to see you. Thank you, Brian. Enjoy, enjoy CPAC. We're here with uh, former Governor Scott Walker. Governor, good to see you. What brings you to CPAC? Well, I just wanted to see the great patriots out here to preserve freedom and opportunity for people, not just the people here, but people all across this great country. Uh, obviously, it was very disappointing for a lot of people across the country uh, that you lost, uh, lost your re-election. Um, what's next for you? Well, a number of things. We're doing some things in the private sector. Doing a, probably start writing a column for the Washington Times, speaking in a, in a uh, what's called worldwide speakers group. But the biggest thing is trying to find more ways to engage young people, now in our colleges and universities, uh, but even down to our high schools, because I think that's going to be critically important, not just in 2020, but for the next generation to come. Uh, we have a good teenage Republicans group here in Montgomery County in, in Maryland. What ways do you think are best to to engage uh, engage young folks? As somebody who has served you know, in county offices, statewide office, what best works to engage those younger voters? Well, I think find new ways to communicate. A lot of times when I talk, I talk almost like I'm speaking uh, in tweets. Uh, <laughs> but 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 not only in terms of tweets, but just giving um, really concrete examples, stories, as opposed to. I think sometimes as conservatives, we think and talk with our head. The left thinks and talks with their heart. We need to not concede our logic, but need to tell stories that have an emotional pull as well. And I think as conservatives, there's plenty of great stories about freedom and opportunity that pull on the heart, um, and we shouldn't concede that to the left. Governor Scott Walker, it's a pleasure to talk to you today. Good to meet you as well. You can help Red Maryland grow our reach when you visit redmaryland.com and click on the Amazon link and shop as normal. A portion of your purchase will come back to Red Maryland to help us grow. Additionally, you can buy Red Maryland t-shirts, drinkware, and other gear from our Zazzle store at zazzle.com slash redmaryland. We want to hear from you. Email us at any time at redmaryland at gmail.com. You can also leave audio feedback on a Red Maryland Talkback line at 410-205-4875. We might use your feedback on our programming. You are listening to Maryland's most trusted conservative voice, the Red Maryland Network. Be sure to follow Red Maryland on all of the major social networking sites. You can follow us at Red Maryland on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Google+, Snapchat, and Tumblr to get the latest from Red Maryland. And be sure to follow the home base for all things Red Maryland, redmaryland.com.
Celebrating five years as Maryland's only network that matters. You're listening to the Red Maryland Network. Welcome back. I want to thank everybody who took time to sit down and um, do an interview with us at CPAC here on February 28th, 2019. It was an interesting CPAC. I've been, this is my sixth CPAC over the course of the last 20 years. And it's, uh, as Andrew said, and we, we mentioned in his comments, every CPAC is different and this CPAC is no different. The one thing I just noticed is the fact that the CPAC was smaller. Um, if you look at the event hub, there were fewer vendors who were participating. There were fewer people in attendance as compared to the uh, Thursdays in the past. And I leave it up to you, the gentle listener, to decide why that is and what that means for uh, the future of conservatism. I know that there's been a lot of focus on how we have lost the intellectual heft that used to attend CPAC, given the fact that, you know, just some of the speakers that were on the agenda. I don't think it's really any different. I don't think you can blame President Trump for that. I remember back in 2012 that Dale Peterson, um, who you may remember from running for agriculture commissioner of Alabama, had a very famous ad, was a rock star, and uh, people were trying to get him to run for president. So, um, you know, there there's always been people who have been hangers-on, who've been trying to push you know, the flavor of the minute and uh, try to make that a thing. Um, so I don't think that's really any different this year than previous years. But CPAC attendance was definitely lower. Participation in the hub was lower. Again, I leave that to you, gentle listener, to figure out what that means. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, as you may know, or probably know, we have all sorts of shows here on the Red Maryland Network. On Saturdays, we have the Conservative Refuge with Greg Klein. Sa- Sundays, it's the uh, Air Raid with yours truly, Brian Griffiths. And on Thursdays, our flagship show, Red Maryland Radio, here on the Red Maryland Network. You can subscribe to Red Maryland Network program on iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, the TuneIn Radio app, and Google Play, and have shows like this automatically download the device of your choice so you won't miss a show. Please be sure to follow the home base for all things Red Maryland, redmaryland.com. We've got a lot of great stuff there and all sorts of ways that you can support Red Maryland, including you can donate to us, paypal.me slash redmaryland. Of course, you can contact us uh, on Facebook, facebook.com slash redmaryland. We are on Twitter, at redmaryland. We are on Instagram, at redmaryland. Please share Red Maryland content with your friends, family, neighbors, colleagues, coworkers, and make sure that the good news of conservatism is spread around the state of Maryland. You can contact us at any time, redmaryland at gmail.com is our email address. Call or text us at any time, 410-205-4875. That's 410-205-4875. And we will feature your comments in a future Red Maryland Network program. Folks, thank you very much to our guests, and thank you, everybody, for listening. For uh, for the Red Maryland Network, I'm your host, Brian Griffiths. Good night, and God bless. Live on